according to old Viking culture, when, <laughs> when you turn 18, traditionally, you would have gotten married. And a sign of getting married was that you would get your hair tied up as a sign of that commitment. And so this is part of her old Viking religion, and therefore she must be allowed to keep the extensions. And it worked. I'm absolutely thrilled to bring you a special guest today. She currently serves as Vice President and General Manager EMEA at Fivetran. And here's what our colleagues say about her. She is an extremely personable yet tenacious self-motivated professional. She has an incredible ability to successfully lead and navigate complex global organizations and projects. Honest, extremely hardworking, she is very well liked and highly respected. She is a natural leader with amazing leadership skills. She always commits herself 100% and always comes through with the goods. Guru Bergen, you're very welcome to the podcast. Wow, what a, what a lovely way to start the day. Hearing those things, I'll pay them later. Well, just check them out. They're on your LinkedIn profile. I didn't have to search too hard. And there was a lot more in that vein as well. So uh, you're very welcome. Thank you, uh, Thank you Paul. Guru, nice I'm, to be here. Uh, it's all my pleasure. Um, you're Norwegian, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, from what I've seen on, on LinkedIn and, and your name. Uh, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like for people who've never been to Norway and don't understand the culture. Yeah, and, uh, and I think I had a pretty quintessential Norwegian upbringing because I grew up on an island off the coast of Norway. Well, actually, in a fjord in Norway. Um, it, it sounds, probably sounds more Norwegian than it really was. It's, it, the, the island itself is only about 20 meters from the mainland. There's a bridge, so it feels like you're still on mainland. Um, mm. The island has about 10,000, 20,000 people, so fairly rural, um, linked to a town called Tonsberg, which is the oldest town in Scandinavia. It's an old Viking town. And so we have a, this big Viking museum. There have been Viking ships dug up around Tonsberg. And uh, it's, it's what I, for the Irish listeners, it's the Wexford of Norway. It's an hour and a half <laughs> south of Oslo, the capital. We have, yeah. you know, new potatoes and strawberries. And it is absolutely full of people from the capital in the summer. Our population actually doubles in the summer. And it is incredibly boring in the winter. <laughs> so that's, that's where Wexford. I grew up. That's Wexford. <laughs> you couldn't have picked a better, better analogy. Um, and, and of course... For Irish listeners, we, we have uh, Viking ships in Ireland too. So I That's think right. those connections have been there a long, long, long time. And uh, I'm also sensing you're, you're living in Ireland, I'm, I'm guessing, because or you've lived here for a while because I'm sensing a little bit of an Irish accent in there. Oh, yeah. I first moved over in 2001 as a okay. student. And actually, um, the story of how I ended up in Ireland as a student is a bit of a funny one. Can I take a couple of minutes to tell that? Please. Please. Okay, good. So I had, when I was 17, I went abroad for a year as an exchange student and I went to Venezuela. And after that, I had to go back to Norway. I was actually there the year that Chavez was elected. So pretty historical year. Mm. Um, 
but that's a, that's a separate story. <laughs> and then I went home to Norway, had to finish at school. So I did another two years in school. But I think once you leave a country, it's it's hard to come back and be at home again. So I was desperate to get back out. So I knew I wanted to study abroad. Mm. And I spoke a bit of Spanish. So I wanted to build on that, but I didn't feel comfortable enough to go straight to Spain. So I was looking for an English-speaking country where I could study business in Spanish. And I found a great university in Australia that I was really interested in going to. And I told my family about it. And my stepbrother said, oh, that's a great university. I have four friends there. I can introduce you. And I said, well, no, I'm not going to go there now. Because what's the point of going all the way to the other side of the world only to hang out with Norwegians? So I called up the Association for Norwegian Students Abroad and I said, hey, I want to understand where there are a lot of Norwegian students around. So I asked, how many Norwegian students are there in Australia? And they said, well, we have about two and a half thousand Norwegian students in Australia. I said, OK, no, that's not going to work. And I said, what about in the UK? And they said, well, we have five thousand students there. I said, no, that's not going to work either. I didn't ask about the US because I couldn't afford the US. I said, what about Ireland? And they said, we have 14 Norwegian students in Ireland. (laughs) That'll do. (laughs) So I went, right, that's where I'm going. So that's how I ended up in Ireland. Wow, that's fascinating. And that actually shows a really, a really powerful sense of self and understanding and what you want and and more important, what you don't want at such a young age. (laughs) Uh, were you always like that? Where does that come from? Um, I think I was probably always like that. I've always been very stubborn. Ever since I was mm. a baby, according to my parents. Um, mm. So kind of, you know, easy, easy going until you hit my limit. And then I'd be, no, now it's enough. And right. yeah, I've always, I've always been like that. Although I'm working on recognizing it earlier in the process instead of kind of letting it get pushed to my limit and then having to put my foot down, but maybe give some early indications instead. So Mm. that's one of the areas of self-improvement that I'm working on right now. Yeah. I also think stubborn is a term that's used by the other, particularly with parents. I've seen it with my own daughter, particularly. And again, when she was younger, you might have described her as that, but it wasn't not stubborn at all it's just that's how I perceived it because I I wanted one thing and she wanted something else it was <laughs> determined a sense of self-awareness and, and you have to admire and respect that and, and, and nurture it because stubborn is is, is is almost a pejorative term it's like here's my will I want to impose it on you and you're stubborn yeah not exactly yeah. always true yeah maybe yeah. you're right so then yeah so tell me then you're so now you're in Ireland what happens then yeah, so, so I, I got into DCU and I studied European business with Spanish, which was two years in Dublin and then two years in Madrid. Oh. And I loved my two years in Ireland. And I was not very happy during my two years in Madrid. Okay. I think culturally what? just wasn't a great fit. The university itself in Madrid was a private Jesuit university. It was very conservative. 
very different from the Norwegian liberal upbringing that I had had. Mm. Mm. Um, and and on top of that, I'd always been very close to the sea. Whereas when I was in Madrid, I was four hours from the sea. And it actually made mm. me a little bit claustrophobic. So I've learned that I need to be near the sea. It's important for me. And um, yeah. So after my two years in Madrid, my plan was actually to go home to Norway, work for six months um, and save up money and then go to New Zealand to do a master's. Mm. And so I moved home to Norway. I started working in a supermarket to try and save up money. And after two months, my sister said, Guru, you are absolutely horrible to be around. You're so angry all the time. <laughs> You're clearly miserable. Mm. You were really happy in Ireland. Why don't you just go back there? New Zealand will be there you know, forever, right? You can yeah. go there at a different time. But for now, yeah. just go to Ireland where you were happy. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did. I actually set myself a challenge. I got, I got a ticket, a return ticket, planned to stay there for nine days, do some interviews. And I decided while I was there that actually it was probably better to remain and not return to Norway after nine days. But I set myself the challenge of getting a job within nine days. And wow. on my ninth day, I got the job offer. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk to you about that in a moment. Tell me, what do you miss about Norway? In, yeah. What do you miss? Well, I miss, I miss my parents. Mm. And, uh, and I miss the seafood. In Norway, there's, there's probably a, a stronger culture of foraging and fishing and just kind of finding your own food, which mm. I really enjoy. Mm. My parents or my family have this summer house that I absolutely love going to. It's, it's very basic. There's no water. So, mm. you know, you wash in the sea. Um, there's no mobile connection, but it, it's just by the water. So we go out on the boat, we pick mussels, we fish, we pick mm. oysters, we put out nets, we get crabs in the nets. There are woods nearby, we go there, we pick mushrooms, mm. we pick berries. So when I'm there, all we do is find food, prepare food, eat food. It's really kind of the center of our existence. And yeah. I love that. Yeah, but I would imagine those activities are more social than they are about the food itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Although the food yeah. is also amazing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and that's, a, that's a very Nordic thing to have a place in, in, that goes back to you know, elemental nature, a summer house in the middle of a woods or far away from the urban landscape that people yeah. spend a lot of their time in the summer. At. It's like back to nature. Um, and right. it's something that I, I, I love about the Nordics as well is, is that just that, that it's a kind of a grounding every year that no matter what happens in the professional life that happens in the urban life that you have that period that you go back and reset the clock and reset the mind and, and, and yeah. soul I would think as well. That's um, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, you don't need, you don't need luxury for that. You know, you don't need five-star resorts. Five-star resorts are amazing too, but yeah. it's really just that, you know, there's no one else around. It's just about existence 
and fresh yeah. air and just switching off, right? Yeah. I was thinking when you're talking about foraging for food, I was thinking our foraging for food is usually aisle three in Tesco's. <laughs> 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 Particularly the bargain aisle. <laughs> what bargain's going to get today? Right. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm interested, you talked about, and it was one of the comments made, said that very personable yet tenacious, and then you said as well about uh, having your, your limits. And, and I'm interested in that. What is it? When you talk about limits, what, what did you mean behind, what was behind that? Yeah, well, I think, um, let me see. We, we actually at work recently did, uh, we did this workshop um, around positive intelligence and um, which I would highly recommend. And um, you, you do this assessment first, right? To understand mm -hmm. which are your saboteurs and a saboteur is basically that kind of voice in your head, the negative voice mm. in your head that you really shouldn't be listening to, but you do, right? And um, I, I, and you you know you have a little bit of all of them. There are ten different ones, but of course the you know it's about understanding which are your top ones, and just building that awareness around them so that you know that it's that voice in your head, right? And mm. my top two were pleaser and restless. So that's an interesting combination. Yeah, it, it is right because they they are almost a little bit contradicting. The, yeah, there's the pleaser, tension between two. Definitely. So the the pleaser in me, right, is the one that wants to make sure that everyone is happy, that there is no mm. conflict, that I'm supporting everyone around me. And that can sometimes go too far to the extent that I don't actually realize that I'm um, maybe not not really recognizing what it is that I that I want myself or that will make me happy. And I can let it go so far that by the time I realize, right, that's when I could have put my foot down and now I've had enough and mm. there's no going back. So what I'm working on is just realizing that that voice is saying, you know, they're, you know, you're trying to please everyone here. So an example of one of the changes that I've made as a result of being aware of this tendency in me is um, I turned 41 a couple of weeks ago and I didn't get to celebrate my 40th because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So instead I celebrated my last weekend of being 40. And uh, <laughs> and so I had a few friends over to the house. And typically I would have spent the whole day cooking. And while the party was ongoing, I would have spent the whole evening cooking and cleaning and preparing and whatever. Right. Mm. This time around, I figured, you know what? It's important for me to also enjoy my own party. Mm. So although I put out nibbles and drinks, Instead of cooking anything, I just ordered a ton of takeaway. Mm. And I just put that out on the table. Mm. And it tasted probably better than I would have cooked myself anyway. <laughs> and I had a much better time at the party. I probably had mm. the best party I've ever had. Mm. Um, and that was because I became aware of my own place. Remember, there's no one else really expecting me to cook for them for the whole evening. But that was something that I had in my head that I needed to do mm. right, in order to be a good host. Mm. Mm. Um, not, 
I was going to say not only that, because I've, I've seen that, not only that, but your guests kind of feel a little bit awkward as well because you're doing all of this and they want to relax, but it's hard to relax because they see you being busy and doing things and they want to help and you say, no, no, it's okay, you sit there and that's, yeah. But when you relax, yeah. they relax. Yeah, I think we all yeah. had a better party. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Interesting. Tell me, what motivates you? Um, well, apart from making people happy and <laughs> being the police <pleaser. laughs> yeah. What motivates me? Um, in terms of like the, the big thing in life, right? What is it that I you know, want to be on my gravestone or um, in my obituary? Uh, I, I really want to make a difference for women um, and in particular women in tech. I am really passionate about getting to the point where we have a much more equal world, right? Where we have the same mm. opportunities. And, uh, and right now it's impacting on women who are working in tech, but it's also impacting mm. on women that are consuming tech, which mm. is the whole world, right? So right now, most of the technology that we have is built by white men. And as a mm -hmm. result is built for white men, mm -hmm. not, intentionally but you know when that's who you are then that's who you consider mm -hmm. so an mm -hmm. example would be um voice recognition right 70 percent of the voices in these voice recognition databases are white male voices because mm -hmm. they are the ones that have built them right mm. and as a result the voice recognition software tends to not recognize female voices and non-white voices to the same extent mm. Mm. which can be annoying sometimes when you're trying to talk to Siri or Alexa or, you know, sure. whatever you're using. But but it can also have some some really big consequences. Like if you have this voice recognition software for surgeons who are operating or if mm. it's in a car, right, when we're building these driverless cars and you're using mm. voice to give commands and then it doesn't hear what a woman says. Right. Mm. So so it can have some pretty, pretty big, uh, big impacts for everyone in our society so i think if we can change make changes for women in tech so that we get 50 percent male 50 percent women working in tech developing tech then that will be better for our society as a whole i'm, I'm really curious about this topic um because it's quite a complex one there's multiple layers to it and and i don't honestly i don't fully understand it um does that where where do you where do you address that at, at what point i'm wondering is it more women engineers for example and does does that help uh, and does your, your point about the the voice recognition i would never given any thought to it because I've only got one voice and that's what the one I tend to yeah. use and it tends to work <laughs> although i will say that alexa tends to work far better than siri um but that's that's a whole different kind of interesting yeah yeah and my wife uses alexa all the time and i've never heard her complain about but again it's only kind of you know <laughs> add baking powder to the shopping list and it, <laughs> magically it pops up on the app when we're in the supermarket but uh so tech is amazing and, and I'm, I'm a i'm a tech person myself i started out in life as a software engineer so i, I have an interest oh. in it what i'm curious about is and, and i saw some stats that 
Again, it goes back to the question, is this a social issue or not? In that men tend to be attracted to things and women more about people. And is that just something that's innate in us? Or is it, when I say biological, not, that's not the right word. Or is it more just social expectation? And uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. The whole nature and nurture thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 honestly, I don't know, but you, you're involved and you might have some uh, answers on that. You know, there there are obviously people who know an awful lot more about that than I do, mm. and and I am scratching my head a little bit over, uh, you know, we we have a, a son and a daughter, who we try to raise very much in the same way, and mm. yeah, definitely see that my daughter is leaning towards you know, more creative things, the dancing, the singing, the horse riding, the dolls. And mm. my son is leaning towards more, you know, playing football, sports, numbers, right? Uh, mm. And I'm really not sure, obviously, there are more people who have been involved in, in the raising of, mm. of our children, right? Um, mm. so, so I'm really torn about how much is nature and how much is nurture. Mm. Having said that, though, when it comes to tech, whether you're interested in things or in people, well, what is tech really about? It's about people, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's technology for people to help mm. people. Um, mm. So I think we can we can potentially frame it that way. Mm. And and one of the answers is getting more female engineers, absolutely. But it's really about mm. having more equal representation across all the different roles and levels in tech companies. Mm. Uh, so here's a question for you on that one. Um, does it have to be equal or does it have to just have a critical mass? And I mean that for, for both male and female, by the way, because I yeah. think there are certain professions that are female dominated and that it's, I don't know that you need 50%, but you just need to have enough that your voice is heard and taken seriously. And I'd be curious yeah. to know what your, your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the date. I did read an article to, or actually, I think it was in this book, um, Women in Leadership by Julia Gillard. And I always mm. get this name wrong. This amazing Nigerian woman I, uh, who's now, oh, it doesn't come to me. Um, I want to say she's in the, it's not the World Health Organization. It's one of those. I know she's incredible. Julian Gerrard, she, she was Australian Australia's Prime Minister. Prime Minister. That, okay. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. the two of them have written a book about women in leadership, where, which I would highly recommend, where they look okay. at different aspects of it in politics, but also outside of politics. And I think it's in that book where they looked at, like, what is critical mass? Um, and if I m remember correctly, it's somewhere above 32%. Okay, that's interesting, either yeah. either gender. So you're right, Paul, like it could be yeah. also, you know, it should be over 32% of men and it should yeah. be over 32% of women. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense because we have that now in, in our politics whereby uh, it, the political parties have to have a minimum representation now I think they frame it as a minimum representation of women I think they need to do it as a, a, a representation of gender just in terms of language change because I think we in some respects will have solved this problem when we start when we stop referring to gender specifically yeah. then we then we know we're there right because we'll, we'll have reached that 
equilibrium or balance, I guess. Um, yeah. But it's a fascinating. I think topic. we'll always we will always refer to it though because it's a really big part of our identity. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. It's true. And, yeah. and I think that's fine. Similarly, you know, for people who don't necessarily, uh, you know, identify mm. as being pure, mm. pure man, pure woman who aren't cisgendered mm. or, mm. you know, for those as well, it's really important to, you know, this is why the whole mm. uh, debate around like, should we allow people to say they, them, there instead mm. of he, she, her, him, mm-hmm. he, him, her, his, etc. And I really do think that we should, because it's, mm. it's how you identify yourself, right? It's, mm. it's incredibly important. Mm. Last question on this topic before we move on. In terms of, you mentioned about women in tech, uh, that, that, that old political slogan, lots done, more to do. What's, what's in the more to do category? I think to a certain extent, more of the same. Um, <laughs> it is really continuing on. I think I have to say, I now work for Fivetran, right? Fivetran mm. is, um, it's a fairly young population. You know, our two co-founders are, I think, 35 and 38 years old. Uh, my boss, the CRO, is is 37. Um, and, and they're a group of incredibly smart thoughtful determined people and the conversations that we have around gender diversity are just so far beyond the types of conversations that we used to have Mm. you know in other companies say 10 years ago right Mm. which is amazing so Mm. so it really is moving on um and just continuing on that awareness Mm. to make sure that we continue to you know, get diverse talent coming into the organization, that diverse talent get promoted at the same rate um, mm-hmm. as, as, you know, non-diverse talent. Um, and that, that continues that we have the right support groups, like we have different ERGs in place for, you know, women plus, so that's anyone who identifies as a woman, for pride, which is the LGBTQ plus, um, as well as we have one now for kind of mental, um, uh, trying to think, mental awareness um, mm-hmm. and Latinx. We have Black Five Tran. Like all of those things are becoming so much more common in all of the tech companies, which is mm-hmm. fantastic to see. So it's really around just continuing that journey, making sure that we don't get complacent. Okay. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? This is a little bit of a cliche, but my mom. Talk to me about that. Um, yeah, my mom, like when I grew up, my parents were both teachers, which is quite a luxury growing up with, you know, two parents who both studied pedagogy. Um, mm. But then my mom, when I was about 12, I think, well, first she went into corporate, into learning and development. And then when I was about 12, maybe a little bit older, she set up her own company um, and has been working as an executive coach for many years. She's now retired. She is incredibly powerful and colorful and will not, like she, she's very strong about what she wants. Um, probably has she used to have more of that pleaser saboteur and she's worked really mm. hard on that one. 
um yeah so so she she really does inspire me mm. someone who just goes and gets gets stuff done and is unapologetic about it nice are you the eldest child by any chance no no oh okay. siblings that's it i am i'm the middle out of the original three okay. <laughs> but then <laughs> through some fostering and through parents splitting up and remarrying etc i am now the middle of a total of nine depending wow. with, with the with the with the fairly loose definition of what a sibling is. Yeah, yeah. And and do you all get on? Most of the time we do. <laughs> you know, we're siblings. We don't always get on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think generally speaking, we're, we're a pretty strong bunch. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Talk to me about your leadership journey. I'm interested to know more about some of the challenges that you faced and that you had to overcome, dig deep, and some of the lessons you learned as a result. Yeah. So I've, I've always been interested in leadership. Again, probably growing up with the mom who was an executive coach who was always into leadership. I must feel like I've been <laughs> kind of raised for this, right? Maybe that was the big evil plan always. Um, so when, when I studied business, my specialization was in management, as it was called mm. then, right? Um, and, and so it's just, you know, when I was in school, I was always the class representative. I've, I've just always been drawn to any sort of leadership positions. I played soccer, I was captain of the team, you know, those things. Um, that doesn't mean that it's all been easy and come naturally and I've always been a fantastic leader and I still make mistakes. Um, and I did, so my, my first company where I got the job after job offer after nine days, which was an amazing journey to go through. And I stayed there, it was service source. I stayed there for 10 years. And when I was leaving, I was going through some old emails of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I found one that I had sent out to the team when I was a team leader. And it just made me cringe. I was so, I was such a bad team leader. Like I'm surprised that the team actually stayed with me because it was the angriest email I have ever read. It was, wow. you know, really telling them when they had to be in that they weren't allowed to be late, that they weren't allowed to do this and that. Like, <laughs> it was just so embarrassing. I was a really, really strict and angry team leader. And I even used mm -hmm. to, um, so we did a lot of data scrubbing in Excel and I learned all the shortcut keys, right? So that you could do this data scrubbing without having to use the mouse. And so I would train people on how to do that. And I would sit next to them with the ruler. And every time they went for the mouse, I would like slap their hand with the ruler. <laughs> when I was seven, my piano teacher used to do that. When I get a note wrong, you get a little rap over the knuckles with the, yeah. with the little stick. But like no one has done that in corporate, at least like since the 1950s until I arrived. <laughs> I, do you know what? I would love to see... 
I would love to see somebody's face if you did that now. It'd be, I think it would be just worth it to have somebody video that, just to capture their expression <laughs> if you did that. <laughs> just, wow. Yeah. So, so, you know, so learning how to maybe chill a little bit yeah, as a leader yeah. and, to, and to help people maybe find out kind of their best version of themselves, allowing mm. them to do things differently Right, and not always do things my way. That has been a really tough journey for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's, it, it must be really interesting looking back at a younger version of yourself that I would imagine had you not had that email written down, you probably wouldn't have believed it. You would have maybe imagined you were a different person, but seeing it in black and white like that expressed the way it is, reading it as as an older version of yourself, it's it's almost like I'd imagine you're you're in somebody else's body. You're reading it like they must have read it. And then the yeah. cringe comes from realizing you wrote it. Uh, yeah. Wow. A hundred percent. I actually yeah. sent it on to my personal email just so that I always have it as a reminder. Yeah. That must be also, I would imagine that it's a very useful learning tool as well when you're dealing with younger leaders to be able to share that with them because they, it's, it's always interesting when you see somebody who's, who you see as, you know, been there, worn the t-shirt, very successful at what they do, you always imagine that they were always like that and they have some sort of secret sauce that you don't have. Yeah. But when you share that and you say, actually, look, this, this is, this, uh, I sent this out. I, go, well, wow. I am never ever sharing that email with anyone, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> well, this podcast is gonna go out and I'm not editing that bit out. That is gold. <laughs> that's 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 going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Um again, so we're talking about that that leadership journey, discovering more about yourself, uh growing professionally. I guess what I'm interested in as well is some of the, 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 the lessons that you might be able to impart to others who are starting out that you're, you, know, you were to kind of, and I, I hate shortcuts and lists because they don't solve anything, but sometimes those nuggets just in sound bites can remind somebody of something or uh, validate something for somebody. So if you were to kind of give me your top three things that you would say, look, pay attention to this as you're going on your journey, what would they be? Oh, <clears throat> so there was one, there was one lesson that I learned, which helped me change my leadership style a little bit. And, and that was my, my manager back when I was a team leader, um, the angry team leader my manager, who I'm still really good friends with, actually, she's amazing, Helen. Um, she said, Guru, or G, as she calls me, she said, G, pick your fights. And I will always remember that one. So oh. I haven't yeah. stopped fighting, right? There are definitely things that I go after. Mm. I try and do it mm. in a more diplomatic way. Mm. But there are definitely things that I'm going after that I want to change. Mm. But I try and pick them instead of fighting everything at the same time. And how do you decide on which ones to 
not let go of to, to fight stand your ground well sometimes sometimes you just know right depending on just capacity <laughs> how much do i have time for um i i would also say definitely Mina being a GM, it's really important for me to not do it just on my own. So mm -hmm. when I started at Fivetran uh, four and a half months ago, the first thing that I did was put together the EMEA senior leadership team, where we have the representatives or the leaders of all the main departments within go-to-market in EMEA. And we got together for an offsite where we you know, first did a lot of team building, focusing on positive intelligence, built that trust and cohesion on the team. And then we built the EMEA plan together. Mm. So we did brainstorming mm. and through that brainstorm, we, we picked the eight pillars. So these are the eight areas of focus that we have for the year of FY23. And each of the pillars are owned by a leader of the EMEA senior mm. leadership team. And then they're putting together a tiger team for each of the pillars and they are driving those initiatives. So I had taken a stab at what I thought those eight pillars would be and mm -hmm. what the ESLT came up with were, was much better. Mm. So building that strong leadership team around you to work with, to make sure that it's not just one brain trying to prioritize, but mm. several brains with different perspectives, different backgrounds. That's really important. That's interesting. So, so if you, in a collaborative way, define the battleground, there's no need to fight. That's right. So mm. we have now all agreed what are the top priorities. Yeah. And they've gotten to pick the ones that they are the most passionate about as well. Mm. So it's really playing to our strengths. Mm. Uh, so, that, so that's one, pick your battles. Anything else come to mind as kind of advice, words of advice, words of wisdom? Can you repeat that, Paul? Yeah, I, I was asking you what comes to mind when you're thinking back on your career, things you've learned. Um, one of them you mentioned was pick your battles. So yeah. the kind of advice you can give to younger leaders starting out on their journey, uh, one of them would be, you know, pick your battles, be careful. And I think from that, we've talked a little bit about, well, one of the ways to avoid that even, even to have that fight in the first place is do things on a collaborative basis, okay? And I was just wondering, was there other things that came to mind in terms of, you know, lessons you've learned, words of wisdom that you could share with others? Yeah, there's, there's one more which comes to mind. Um, this one comes from uh, Olivier, who's an amazing leader now at LinkedIn. And um, he joined Service Source, took over as the GM for EMEA there, took over a very broken uh, organization and managed to completely turn it around within his four-year tenure and when it came to the end of his four-year tenure he said he announced that he was going to be uh, leaving and he said actually when I came in I always knew that it was going to be four years I had a four-year plan hmm. I just didn't necessarily tell you because I didn't want you to know that there was an end right which makes sense yeah. Um, but that really made me think as well, that four-year plan, that's a pretty smart thing to have. And there's probably a reason why presidential terms or, you know, prime minister terms, et cetera, are four years. Because it's, 
long enough to really make an impact, but not so mm. long that you go stale. That's really interesting, yeah. Because I think five years is a bit of a cliche. Why four versus five? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that's really interesting because if you think about it, if you said, look, here's my five-year plan, it, it's become such a cliche. People are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you said four years. It just sounds like more thought through. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And wow, I took that language. when I went into Oracle, right? So mm. I left Service Source after 10 years, went to Oracle, wanted to learn from one of the giants. And, and I went in with a four-year plan. Mm. So my plan was, I knew that I was going into a big transformation. So my plan yeah. was year one was going to be <laughs> clean up and figuring out what I needed to do and reset the team. Yeah. Year two was going to be starting to build. Year three was going to be to kind of build on what worked. And then year four mm. was going to be accelerate. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. And then after three years, I knew it could take up two years to find the right next role. Mm. Um, and Neurella came along a little bit sooner than I had planned. So it ended up being three and a half years at Oracle instead of uh, four. But, but that four-year plan really helped me stay focused on, yeah. on what I needed to do. I love it. Um, you mentioned it a few moments ago, we were talking about leadership and you mentioned a program course and you said it was something manage management as we used to call it. Yeah. Uh, do you see a distinction between leadership and management? And if so, where do you see the distinctions? Yeah, because now we don't really call it management anymore. No. Now we call it leadership. Mm, everybody's a leader and I don't know if <laughs> it's true at, at an operational level I don't know that it can be true but only if you make a distinction yeah but but I do think actually you bring up a good point which is with management it's hey I am your line manager I manage you right and you can't be you can't manage people unless people report into you right mm. Whereas with leadership, you actually can have people who are leaders that don't necessarily, you know, manage an organization or a team. Mm. I really like that distinction. It, it, it springs to mind because I hear people say, you know, I am a sales leader. And I've often wondered is, and I know the role and the relationship with their people is that of management. And I often wonder, can leadership be self-claimed or does it have to be through the eyes of others you know i can say i'm a leader but if nobody follows me and nobody respects me then i'm not i'm not a leader so i don't get to define it and so i just always think it's a funny phrase that yeah that it's i wonder yeah. what your thoughts are in terms of who who gets to define yeah. it yeah well i think you're absolutely right paul i think it's it's the people who choose to follow that actually mm. define it Mm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would absolutely agree with that one. Um, there was something I wanted to ask you now, something that came up. and uh, Oh, I know what it was. Sorry. Um, tell me something about you, an experience you've had, maybe somebody famous you met, something that you've done that you reckon nobody uh, who works with you knows about you. Oh. That you're comfortable sharing, I should have added, added that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I've had people over the years, you know, they'll talk about, oh, I sang opera for the Queen of England on some stage, like all sorts of things that you'd never just know about them. And I was just, everybody has something. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know what? I think I can tell everyone everything. <laughs> so You're I'm an open book. This. Yeah, I am a little bit of an open book. Okay. So, you know, really for me, the, the, the fun fact is that I was in Venezuela the year that Chavez was elected. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Well, actually, what I what I tend to not tell people is that that year I also got engaged <laughs> on my 18th birthday. Wow. Uh, yeah. Needless okay. to say, didn't actually end up getting married. But <laughs> OK, OK. Yeah, that's young. Yeah. Well, I was exactly. just curious, what was that like living in Venezuela at that time? Yeah, you know, I arrived in Venezuela with 12 words of Spanish mm. and, you know, moved in with a family that spoke no English and, wow. you know, had to go through mm. the journey of, you know, learning the language, learning the culture, going to school there, wearing a school uniform for the first time in my life. Wow. And, um, yeah. And I actually do remember there was one story because, again, you know, very different from the liberal Norwegian society in which I grew up. Mm. And I, um, I, I went, I went to, I wanted to get these braids done, right, with extensions. Mm. And I went to get them done and it took about eight hours of sitting outside on a plastic chair in 40 degree heat while this woman was like tugging at my hair and adding extensions and whatever it was it was really expensive you know as mm. far as i was concerned being 17 and not having a lot of money and it was uncomfortable and took a long time mm. and then i went to school with it on the monday and the principal turned around and said you are not allowed to mm. have hair extensions um, it doesn't go with our, you know, dress code. And I was absolutely distraught. Mm. And I went home to my uh, my host mother and I told her what had happened. And she was like, oh, we'll, we'll find a way. We'll find a way around it. And she ended up sitting up all night, kind of hacking out this plan and writing a letter right to the principal. And what she ended up coming up with was she wrote, you know, guru, uh, is soon turning 18 and in Norway according to old Viking culture <laughs> when, <laughs> when you turn 18 traditionally you would have gotten married and a sign of getting married was that you would get your hair tied up as a sign of that commitment and so this is part of her old viking religion and therefore she must be allowed to keep the extensions and it yeah. worked <laughs> fantastic as you were saying that in my head i was going if you tied it in with this is my religion that's guaranteed to work exactly wow that's fascinating <laughs> that is fa well now there you go there's the answer to the question tell me something that nobody knows that is, yeah. that's 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 incredible um I wanted to ask you a couple of final questions before we finish out, Guru. Is, uh, what I'm interested in is if you were a Minister for Education and you could make any one subject mandatory on the school curriculum, what would it be? 
I, so I very much believe in secular education. Mm-hmm. I really think that church and state should be separate. So my answer to that is more, I would take away um, the kind of Catholic or religious teachings that are mm-hmm. currently being taught. And I would instead insert religion studies where you learn about the different mm. religions in the world. Because yeah. I yeah. think that awareness of not just the religion that you may have, if you do have mm. one, but the awareness of all mm. the other religions and understanding them, the similarities, Mm. the differences, and really developing that empathy would Mm. do an awful lot of good for the world. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think think they make great strides on that here in secondary, not in primary, but in secondary. I know my kids have gone through it, and they've taken religion uh, in a non-religious family, so I was curious about it, and they they do study uh, Islam, Judaism, and so on. but there still is that overtone that I think still needs to be uh, addressed. But yeah. uh, again, like everything, progress, more to do. Yeah. Okay, final two questions. Uh, funnily enough, I think you answered my second one earlier, but I'll come back to it. But the um, house is burning down question in that your house is burning down, your family are safe, uh, you, uh, any pets you have, safe. Of course, your phone and, and computer are safe. You have time to run back in and grab one thing that's important to you, that's some sort of value to you. What would it be and why? My jewellery. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And in, actually, in particular, this ring that I'm wearing right here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that one has been in my family for five generations. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. my grandmother got it from her husband's grandmother again and then she gave it to me so it can it skips a generation every time which means i'm not going to be giving it to my daughter instead but if i do have grandchildren one day i will give it to one of my grandchildren um that's interesting so yeah so there's even a tradition in terms of how you pass it on yeah well you know it now that it's happened twice, I think it is the tradition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, that ring must tell some stories, I tell you. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, my grandfather did not come from a wealthy family. Uh, so I, I don't know kind of the history of it, its origin. It's not a diamond or anything. And it's an aquamarine, but it's, it's still, it mm. would have cost them a bit of money um, sure. back then. So yeah. I don't know. And it's more, it is more valuable to you than any diamond, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Final question. Um, when your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? Oh, the title of the book. Mm. This is a bit silly, but G is for G star. <laughs> Cheese for cheese I tell you what, that is the most unique title anybody's come up with. I love it. Cheese <laughs> for G star. It's just yeah. a lot of people just call me G, right? Okay. So and, and yeah. yeah, and I actually used to have a T-shirt that said G's for G star. <laughs> I love it. You know what? I I'm 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 disappointed. Our time is up. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, Guru, 
Bergen, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much, Paul. I really enjoyed it. 